Hey, what's up, YouTube? Welcome to episode one of the Due Diligence Dude podcast. We're super excited to have you guys here. Uh, this is a project that I've been wanting to do for a long time. Uh, since this is the first episode, we're going to do a quick little introduction of like what this is. Um, basically, what, I, what we want to do with this is um, bring on people, um, special guests that are in the investing finance space, um, crypto space, really anything that we find we think will like bring value towards you guys. Um, so we have an interesting first guest today, but first I just want to introduce like who is Due Diligence Dude. So my name is Raymond. I'm one half of Due Diligence Dude. My partner, Dan, he's not here today, um, but he'll hopefully be on the next one. Uh, I guess without further ado, let's introduce our first guest. My good friend, Noah Malik, works as an investment banker at CIBC. So Glad uh, to be here, Due Diligence Dude. And uh, nice, nice to put a face uh, to, the, to the DD name. Yeah, yeah. So I guess the first time you guys will be seeing my face. So. Uh, uh, that's awesome. Uh, do we want to just start off, I guess, like introduce yourself, like uh, what do you do? What got you into finance and start from the beginning? Yeah, I guess from day one. I mean, so I guess I'm in uh, go to Laurier's, um, you know, I'm, I'm learned in the Laurier's finance program. Um, and I guess starting if people aren't as- familiar, sorry, like we might have some American viewers or whatnot. Laurier is a school in, uh, in Ontario. Yeah, in, in Waterloo, Ontario. Um, and I guess from the beginning, I always knew I was interested in uh, business. And obviously, there's a lot of aspects to business you can get into, whether it's, you know, your accounting, your marketing, your, your finance or your operations or anything like that. And, and I guess the world is your program. And, and that's really what, what you take your co-op experiences for to understand really what you like and what you don't like. And for me, I guess, um, as my first experience, you know, in, in accounting, um, I realized, you know what, that's just not something that I really wanted to get into. Um, and, you know, and that just no specific reasons, um, just, you know, something that I knew I didn't, really wouldn't want to get into. So I guess here I was in second year, um, you know, I felt like, you know, I was kind of a step behind, you know, those hardcore finance bros that know, like, you know, right from day one, they want to be, they want to be bankers or they want to be, you know, some PE guys on Wall Street or something like that. Right. Um, but again, it, it takes time. And, and in, there's really so much to learn about this industry. And I've been lucky enough, I guess, to experience, uh, you know, different co-op opportunities, one in private equity, like at a family office, and then the most recent at CIBC's investment banking team um, on their diversified um, division. So again, I've had great experiences in both of those mm-hmm. um, and, and, and can speak to, you know, anything um, to that. Yeah, I, th- I think something interesting would be like, we might have some viewers that are like looking to get into finance, maybe younger people, like when, like, even like, if you could possibly go back, like when you're applying to schools and whatnot, like, did you always know that it was like a business program? You just like, because me personally as well, like I was always like interested in like the business space. Um, so like, what made you choose that in the first place? Yeah, again, for me, I guess you always hear about, you know, the big Queens and Ivy names. And that's, I guess you hear about those on a global level. And then right. Laurier, I guess, you don't, you don't hear about it as much. Um, and I guess one of the reasons I was attracted to them was, again, they have a pretty good pro- co-op program where like, they have right. like, a pretty large network, whether, whether you want to get into whatever areas of business, they have like a huge alumni base and, and continuously growing in, in many different areas of business. And um, I think you can, like, if, especially if you don't have any connections, like you really should be leveraging their pro- co-op program um, you know, just to understand what you like and, and what you don't like for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe one thing, I guess we'll, we'll probably touch on that later when we were speaking before 
was about like the importance of networking in 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 the finance industry like how how important is it to like build relationships and that like want to find your co-op position and then once you found it like find like you know oh well 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 relationship building is honestly everything in finance because like let's be honest here like you're applying to like an investment banking position or or really anything in finance mm-hmm. um, can't really speak to any of the other areas but there's about two or three hundred people behind you and and how are you going to differentiate yourself from the other people behind you because they're they're easily just as qualified and it's a matter of how are you going to stand out because right. you know like the fact of the matter is when you're especially a co-op student or even as a first year analyst your work is very replaceable and and someone right behind right. you is willing to do and they can equally do just as good of work as you can so it's a matter of how are you going to stand out and how are you going to make a difference on your team and and just again just be memorable right so like you know when you're on your co-op terms like going for coffee chats or like talking to the managing directors or anything yeah. like that is is so critical just so they can put you know a face to your name and and when it comes to the decision time whether they want to hire you back or not they can be they'll be like yeah you know what he's he yeah he does good work but um he's a guy that fits into the culture um, right. of the team and that that is probably the most important thing so obviously it's tough in a, in a remote environment but gotta make the best of it yeah oh, that's actually an interesting question like since i i suppose your your most recent job has been pretty much i'm not sure has it been like all online um no actually like we were in person for oh, okay. a couple months and then same with the one yeah how, how do you like what do you do to help continue your relationship but like it must be difficult especially like you have people different ages and stuff in the first place but uh, yeah i mean online, everyone's like, relatively young but yeah there's some old guys and and again just just asking you know people just going for coffee chats and continuously learning from these people is something that's so critical because really when you're starting at the bottom you know nothing and like like these people right, are right. like they're going to teach you so much and and that's one aspect of it but also like what's your value to them and, and you have to bring something to the table because when you're getting at the co-op level like it's not just about you it's what value are you going to bring to the team um and that's obviously what something that's very important when you're doing interviews and stuff like that yeah for sure for sure i think an interesting question would be like what like you said that like when you went to accounting or whatnot like it wasn't for you but then you like now you found um an investment banking position which i feel like other people would be look look like potentially and be like oh this might not be the most exciting thing like what to you about it like makes it exciting like what do you what do you most enjoy about it i guess the hard most enjoying is yeah you're very low down on on the totem pole but to me what's most interesting is that you're working on transactions or i guess anything that is very transformative to these businesses so if you're working on the ipo MA, or you want to just like kind of backtrack quickly before you get going on that like like what type of transactions do you work on and, and whatnot? Because people might not be familiar like with what an investment banker does. I mean, so they, they go a wide range of different things you can mm-hmm. work on. Again, obviously you have, you know, the glamorous, you know, IPOs and then and the yeah. $80 billion uh, M&A deals. But that's the, that's the stuff that you, that, you know, everyone sees. But there's right. a lot of background work that people really don't see. And that's, you know, you do a lot of pitching and, you know, pitching to businesses, you know, different ideas, whether it's, it's an acquisition um, or, or I guess on the advisory side in terms of capital allocation and things like that um, is, is obviously very important. And really, I guess on the sell side, it's all about relationship building and, yeah. and really getting to know the, your clients and, and, you know, what, what their needs are at specific times and pitching them ideas. Because the thing is, I guess, 
how you're going to differentiate yourself from from the other banks is is really the main idea and why what my understanding is you know relationships are really everything in the industry right like if you're if i'm a, a company and i have a relationship with this bank i would you know those are the first people i'm going to call is that like that's the type of relationships you guys are trying to build exactly and then and let's say you know you just want to have a good relationship so let's say you do you know a good job on their ipo maybe if they have like uh you know a secondary offering or a future you know acquisition they want to make down the road right you know they liked you before what you know they'll go back to you again for for right. these other opportunities that have down the road so right. um, it's definitely a business that i think like there's a lot of trust so if if you show them that you can do the right job they're gonna why would they go somewhere else right exactly and every you have to really pay attention to the detail mm-hmm. which is Again, like you hear these stories of people, you know, like making sure everything's centered to a T and, and things like that. And yeah, and that's exactly what happens because you have to make sure that everything is detailed. If you see one mistake in that, all of a sudden, maybe your level of trust is not there and, and maybe your credibility is out the window. So you have to make sure everything's picture perfect um, because it's so easy for them just to go, just to go to another bank or another, another boutique yeah, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So yeah. I, I feel like a lot of the narrative is with like, entry-level finance positions is that you just have this mountain of work and that you know like you like the work that you're doing might not be that influential but like from your perspective it sounds like even if that might be the case where the work you're doing isn't like it's like not challenging you necessarily I don't know if that's the right word but like oh no there's there's definitely like sometimes you get some work and you're like I don't even know how to start this thing that's for sure um but again a lot of like the work really varies and it really yeah. is based on you what you want to take because like you can you can ask for all this work and again it's important not to get especially when you're starting out not to overwhelm yourself too much because yeah, for sure there's almost infinite amount of work you can take on it's just exactly. a matter of, you know what your capacity is at the time and what you're willing to take on but i guess the key is willingness to learn um is yeah. the big thing because really when you're at the bottom you know yeah. absolutely nothing and, yeah. and learning is everything yeah, I think you're, I mean, you're talking about your industry, but that can be applicable to and literally that, anything. And yeah, that applies know? to everything, not just in finance, accounting, yeah. literally anything. So, and I, I feel like you can, might be also relate, relate to this. You said like when you were working on your like accounting internship or your co-op, like you, like, because you're less passionate about it, it's like harder to like, like want, like motivate yourself and that kind of stuff. Exactly. You yeah. You, you have to find, you have to find a passion because again, money is not everything, right? You have to be intrinsically motivated. Like, if you're not motivated, like you're not going to work hard. And that, that's the 100%. big thing, right? So like that, that's how it goes. So again, this is something that really I'm interested in and I'm willing to work hard and everyone knows what the hours are like. Yeah. Um, and no one, no one really enjoys pulling all nighters, but again, like. But you see like the bigger picture, right? And yeah, you see the bigger picture. Um, and yeah. And that's, if that's the lifestyle you want that you, that you think you want to do and try out, then yeah. Um, yeah do you feel like it's a very highly competitive type of job yeah it's very competitive because you know there's some it's there's about 300 people behind you that would that would do anything to get the same position so it's it's really a matter of like working hard and proving to them you know yeah you they chose the right guy and and then and and, you know you're the right choice and really I guess when you're at these co-op positions it's not they don't hire co-ops to for the sake of hiring a co-op or an extra body it's because they actually want to hire you full-time so that's kind of what i guess there's two aspects of it it's you know the quality of work you do is obviously extremely important of course but also it's you know whether you fit into the team and you know do they want to go out for a rest like can they go out for a restaurant with you like do they like you that's also 
another key part. So again, networking is is huge in this industry. Yeah, I think in, in, any, in any industry, like networking is so important. It's a skill that like, it, it's kind of hard to build because like, I feel like some people think networking, you need to have like in genuine relationship and stuff. But I think it helps that because you're always talking to like-minded people who like enjoy what you're doing, like those are the type of people you'd want to hang out with anyways, right? Like, oh, 100%. And then again, like, I guess in the early stages of the university, they have these network events. Everyone, nobody, every, it's, it's weird. It's definitely weird. Yeah. I, I know um, from my experience, like I went to those too. Like, it's like, what do I say? Like, it's like why yeah, does this guy want to talk say, to me? Yeah. You kind of forget just how to talk. So no, but honestly, just like put yourself out there um, and try to talk to these people because you can learn so much from them. Yeah. I think that's great advice. Um, I think what would be, would be like kind of interesting for our audience is you've mentioned like buy side and sell side. Like we have like a lot of retail investors who are probably listening. What do you mean by buy side and sell side? Do you want to just like explain what that means in like the finance world? Yeah. So I guess, I guess on the sell side, which is kind of what the banking world is about is the sell side, as it's suggested in the name, you're selling something to a client, right? You're right. selling, you know, some sort of service or an advisory to them. So again, that could be like, you're advising them on a, on an acquisition they want to make, or, or maybe they want to spin off a part of their business and they want to know how you would go about that or, or, you know, could be like how they want to structure their business. Should, should they pay down, should they take up more debt to make an acquisition or, or, you know, should they increase their dividend, things like that. So again, it's a lot of, you know, advisory. And um, again, it's a lot different than the, than the buy side, I would say on the contrary, because again, it's sell side is very competitive and you're trying to differentiate yourself from, you know, other banks or other, other investment banks who are competing again for maybe the same uh, type of deal as opposed to on the buy side. Um, you know, you're trying to, let's say you're, you know, you're in PE or you're doing equity research. Um, it's not so much, you know, that you're trying to sell a service. You're just looking into um, making sound investments. And I guess obviously on the PE side, you want to make sure or get across the message that, yeah, this is a reputable fund. Um, and, you know, a good, a good fund that would buy, you know, a student business and that, that could, that is very competent in running a business. And that's obviously something that's important, but again, it's, it's the two sides are very different. Um, and something that's good to get experience on both ends for sure. Yeah. Maybe you could talk about like ex having experience on both ends. Like I think we were talking earlier, you were saying like a lot of people, they work for the buy side for, or sorry, the sell side for a couple of years so they can like understand how these type of transaction works, IPOs and whatnot. Then once they get to the buy side, they're like for the, you know, they're more informed on how things work like underground kind of. Yeah, I guess that's, I mean, you have the classic route, the couple of years of banking and then right to buy side, but again, maybe sell side is what you really like and that's what you want to stay in again. But I guess you kind of find your way, like I'm assuming once you, once you're a couple of years into it, yeah. um, but like buy side, there's so many different areas you can pursue. It's not just PE. It's also, you know, I was also a part of Laurier's investment funds. So I did. Um, some small cap equity research for them um, and again one thing I guess I learned from that was with respect to equity research is you get ready to read because you are reading 10k and quarterlies and, and earnings transcripts and and you got to like in order to really I guess formulate an opinion about a company you got to have a good understanding of what their history is and their track record in order to you know even be credible to formulate some sort of opinion on on forecasting or things like that so um yeah a lot of independent work on on the equity research side of things but um yeah some people like that that's yeah. for sure 
I, I've, something interesting is like what what were there any like particular projects or I don't know if you're like able to speak about like something you worked on like a particular company you researched that like really interests you or some sort of project that like you enjoyed um yeah I mean like there's a couple again like I'm always searching for stocks and things like that yeah um so I guess one of the things I do like so I guess back when I was doing some banking work was again one of the classic tasks you'd be asked was like doing some of the analyst pages, which is just essentially like, you know, what do reputable analysts think about this particular stock? Um, mm -hmm. And what's their kind of census, you know, EBITDA or like their earnings um, on this thing and, wh and what are their price targets and how does that compare to, you know, the current stock price um, is something that's kind of very important. Um, so again, so I guess some of my free time is again, just reading these, you know, sell side reports, uh, yeah. which, I guess if you they're mostly public um, information. If you have like you know Floria, I'm sure Queens or Western are the same thing. You you, you go enter into their their school database and these right. are public. So um, yeah, that's that's one thing. I guess I would do um, all my free time. But again, buy side research is a little bit more private, so you can't really look into that. But right. Do you like do like any ind individual research? Like when you're looking at a stock that you want to buy, like do you go through the same Cause I'm sure you've picked up like a ton of like useful skills, like with equity research that you can obviously apply to your own portfolio. Um, yeah. I, again, I guess when I'm looking at particular stocks or individual stocks, mm -hmm. I guess one thing, again, like you're more of a long-term like fundamental. Focus. Definitely more of a fundamental guy. And I guess when you're looking at fundamentals, mm -hmm. one thing you look at is again, the management team is, I guess two things, the management team and how they allocate capital are things that are the most important things that you look at a business. Because again, if management is not competent, you're not going to invest in them. Like, and but that here's the thing: it's it's very difficult to gauge. Right, how, it's subjective. It's very subjective and it's very difficult because it, so when I was in Laurier's fund, one of the questions I got asked was, you know, is the management team competent? And the question is, how do you answer that, right? Right. And and I guess the only really thing you can do is look at their track record. Um, mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, you can do your additional due that you can go on. You can anyone can hop on their earnings calls. Um, you can contact their investor relations page and sometimes, you know, they may reach out and have an individual phone call with you. But again, it's something that's very difficult to gauge, but honestly, extremely critical, right? Like how, what is their track record of their acquisitions? Have they made good acquisitions? Um, you know, how much do they have any debt? Cause let's say a company has no debt. Why do they? So the company that I was looking at had no debt, right? So that kind of raises a red flag as to, you know, why don't they have debt? Why are they not making acquisitions when they easily could, right? Right. When they so, have like credit, why aren't they using it? Like, exactly. Right. So yeah. when you see companies with no debt, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, I'm sure there's some sort of reason that's into it. So I guess the company I was looking at was, yeah, they had no debt. So I asked, um, I just literally typed an email to the investor relations page and um, set up a phone call, which in, in most of the cases of the small cap companies is possible. But if you're dealing with like, you know, oh, it's definitely cap. possible with small cap companies. Small caps, yeah. You're looking they at large talking. caps. 100%. Yeah, yeah they, they'll, they'll definitely love to talk to you. Um, obviously, on the bigger guys, you're probably not going to be able right. to do that. But um, yeah, and then I guess the reason was is what they told me was it's a matter of fit and they don't want to make an acquisition for the sake of just making an acquisition. They want to make sure that the fit is there um, and, you know, they're going to have, you know, like pretty good synergies when they actually make this acquisition because they don't want to just make an acquisition 
just for the sake of it. And so when you hear that from the management, that's probably like, oh, that's probably a good move for management. It's a good like an explanation for what you know they're able to. Yeah, but you want to you know have a reason to believe that you know there there is progress being made and and they're going to allocate you know this capital appropriately. Yeah, um, is something that's super important when you're looking at stocks like this. So again, it's important to do your own due diligence as you know as the the podcast suggests. Because everyone's different, right? Everyone has different risk tolerances um, with what they like, with respect to you know uh, how much debt you you may want to have on a company or things like that. So um, again, it's super important just to do your own DD. Is yeah. is what we can stress over here. Yeah, and and another thing I think that for me at least personally, like when when I invest into a company and I've done a lot of research and and I fully understand it, like if the price falls, like I'm I'm way less concerned because I have a long term mindset and I actually understand you know, the risks and, and opportunities that the company presents. So do you feel like exactly. that's something you benefit from? Like, just like improved conviction? Um, exactly. Yeah. You just want to have, again, if, if you have a, like, if you do the appropriate DD and, and you have a good conviction on it, then yeah, maybe, maybe what you are saying is, is, is the truth again. Um, but again, the point is not to be too short-term oriented because again, trying to predict fluctuations yeah. in the market on, on, yes. on a day-by-day basis is, is extremely difficult to do yeah um, well you have again, to have a, a trader's mindset for that so exactly it's different exactly yeah. and, and i would consider myself more of a fundamentals guy so i don't yeah. really shine on that regard um but again yeah you have to you have to believe um how you know have a high conviction but again it's do your due diligence um and that's probably the thing i can stress the most i guess for sure um what one thing I thought would be interesting is like, what, like, what's your future goal? Like you're very, like, you've seemed like you've been very successful. You've had a bunch of co-ops, like you completed a school, you have a business degree, uh, investment banker. What's next? What's next for Noah? Well, I mean, I just want to get my feet off the ground for sure. Um, you know, at CIBC and, and that's something that I'm really looking forward to, but it's really, really difficult to say, you know, uh, probably just going to stick with that for the time being. Yeah. Um, because again, I, the last four months when I was there in the fall was, was some of the most enjoyable months I've had in a very long time. And again, being in office is just totally, totally different than yeah. you like like virtual world. And yeah. Yeah. You like being there, like around the team and that I, I can definitely feel that hundred percent. And it just, it's just a lot different, right? Cause like, I guess it gets, if you're just sitting in a room all day, plugging away, it's, it could be a bit tough and it could get a bit dark sometimes. Um, sure. So just having human interaction is something that's big. And I guess in terms of, from what I've been told, like in terms of the months, like usually the winter is like kind of the darkest because, you know, managing directors are trying to, you know, they started $0. So they're trying to, you know, go hard doing a lot of, you know, pitches to clients, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, again, it's all in the investment banking world it's always busy um and there's never a shortage of work it's just a matter of you know how much you really want to take on and and you know how interested you are um and, you, and your drive to just learn as much as you can yeah i think you've given a lot of like super like good insights especially to our like younger viewers like if you're interested in following this path like or any path like i think it's super important like as you're saying like to choose something that you enjoy like it might be in finance it might not it but exactly. as you said, the, be- the best way to find out is, is to try it out for yourself, you know, like take a co-op, take an internship, whatever you can. Yeah. And, and again, don't be and be afraid even on, on LinkedIn or whatever to reach out to, 
to whoever and ask for, you know, a coffee chat or anything like that, just to, so you can learn more because again, you're not going to learn without trying. So yeah. that's, that's the number one. For sure. Like the, the worst thing that someone can say is, is no, thank you, you know, or, exactly. or ignore your message. And exactly. And you know what you can think in that point, it's their loss, you know? Exactly. And, and then and when I was doing my equity research, I threw it, an email out to the, to the person in charge of, you know, who like the investor relations contact. And I thought there was no chance that this guy was right. going to respond to me. And listen, you know, even a $300 million market cap company, pretty big. I didn't think yeah. I was going to get a message back and boom, they said, yeah, no problem. We'll set up a call with you. So I guess the bottom line is you never know until you try. Right. You miss every shot you don't take. Yeah. Right. <laughs> who said that Wayne Gretzky, I think. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. So I think we're coming up on about half an hour. So maybe we'll just, do you want to quickly talk about that article we were, we were discussing earlier? Yeah. So yeah, we were, we, we saw an article, I guess, yeah. earlier to summarize, which is um, basically an article explaining, you know, maybe the energy transition that, you know, we all know and hear, hear about all the time is maybe not approaching as quickly um, as we thought it might be um, for a variety of yeah. reasons. And again, we know like, you know, fossil fuels, um, I guess from the point of view of the article is, mm-hmm. you know, here to stay for the foreseeable future, specifically again, in the developing countries where again, you see China, not less, not developing, but I guess in China, you see, you know, I don't consider China a developing country. No, no, they're not developing, but Some I guess you see, China, yeah. yeah, like you see, I think in, in Canada or the US, like we still use like 79% of our energy or something like that Right, is still fossil fuels. I think 86% in China, still in the high 70s in India. And the question is, you know, how quick is this energy transition going to be? Yeah. And I think that w- the point of the article was, was talking about like retirement funds. And obviously there's this whole movement going on about ESG and whatnot, which I think is like super important. Like me personally, like, I think like ESG investing is like what, when actually done correctly, like when people are actually like investing to try and better the world and not just doing it for sure. I feel like that's like kind of the future, but this person who wrote this article makes like an interesting point. Like, if it's our retirement fund, like, do we really care about ESG? Shouldn't you be caring about like our retirement? Yeah. And, and it questions. So what it questions, what are people's motives? Are people's motives, you know, right. to save uh, how, how big is this climate change an issue? And second to that, do people care more about, you know, their returns or do they care more, you know, maybe they'll sacrifice a little bit and they're willing to pay a little bit more so they can, they can save the planet. So the question is, you know, what are people's motives? And that's really yeah. the the golden that's the golden question after reading that article what do you think obviously the the author of the article seems to be pretty bullish on the the energy sector as a whole and and his kind of like thesis is that this esg transition stuff is like a little bit too much yeah basically the argument is that it's too much too soon and and again it's tough to say that you know what do you you think though i'm I'm interested what do i think well i guess it's tough to say. Again, I, I kind of agree with it that maybe, you know, it's not happening as quickly as we think it might be. Because again, in my opinion, fossil fuels will be here for the for quite the foreseeable future. It's not, I don't think it's going to zero um, anytime soon. Um, but even in that case, so that we discussed this earlier as well, like, do you not think because of this whole ESG thing and whatnot that private or sorry, publicly held like energy companies like what type of p like who's gonna pay like for future earnings for a company that you know is gonna have sanctions and all this these 
these environmental issues, you know, like carbon offsets, whatnot, like hundred percent. And that's the worry. I mean, there's no question in mind. There is definitely energy transition that's going on. Right. Um, and that no one's debating that. I mean, that's for sure happening. And it's a matter of here, the golden question, or the, really the real question is, you know, is there still, you know, can people still profit on, on this, you know, fossil fuels and, and the reason for, you know, pension funds or, or really anybody to invest in these companies, because if they can provide shareholder value and things like that, people will always and continue to invest in them until that is not the case. So it's, it's that's interesting, kind of the though. argument. Right. I, I feel like some of the market, definitely not all of the market, but there's a good portion of the market that seems, it's not like they don't care about returns, but they're unwilling to gain returns from something that they think is given like a negative externality. You know what I mean? 100%. 100% there's people out there that you know yeah. will do that, but there's also people who won't. Yeah. So It's again, a really interesting perspective to have though. Like, I feel definitely like an interesting perspective, right? So and I think what we're going to have to look at to see is kind of like, you know, the primary market inflows to some of these, like when, you know, when an oil and gas company wants to raise capital, we're going to see, you know, look at the level of inflows that, you know, are coming into this company and are they having more difficulty raising capital as opposed yeah. to, you know, five, six years ago is, is the question. Yeah. I, I think, what do you think about like, there's obviously like a couple different alternative energy sources that are like coming out, including like batteries. Um, but one of those is hydrogen fuel that which you would assume that like oil companies like that wouldn't, it would obviously be a hard transition, but it seems like that's something they could do. Do you think that like, if, do you think that the oil companies are doing enough to like. Tough to say. I mean, you see a lot of these, you know what I mean? You saw, you see a lot of these companies put like this, this trying to put this net zero goal or something like that by by like 2030, 2040, things like that. Um, So that's something that we're starting to see. Um, But again, like, it's it's in my opinion it's going to take a little bit of time because it's not going to happen overnight this thing right like this whole energy transition is not going to happen overnight of course not um but no one really knows how long this is going to take and you know but what it's you tough do, tough to it, say it's pretty hard at this point to say that it's not happening though oh it's definitely happening it's right. just a matter of you know when you know when when really people are gonna you know yeah. It's, it's, tough. it's just a matter of when it's going to be fully adopted, especially, I guess, in the developing countries, right? So, yeah, I, I was definitely like interested reading the article to hear someone else's perspective. I, I, I'm personally still in the boat where I'm very bullish just on the clean energy sector as a whole. I think that. And yeah, and why wouldn't you, right? I mean, any normal person or any, any average person right. would love to have the clean, clean energy, right? It's just a matter of, you know, is that, yeah, what, yeah. Is that where you're going to get your best bang for your buck? I think part of the argument is also that even if clean energy does well, it's not like fossil fuels are going away so they can still make money. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Like with inflation too, you look at the price of crude oil, just soaring. Like exactly. Yeah. So again, it's tough to gauge, but definitely an interesting topic uh, to discuss much further. Yeah. There's, there's, there's tons that we could discuss. Unfortunately, I think we're almost at our time up here um I've, I've, hopefully you guys enjoyed this this is our first episode um it was a little bit unorganized and whatnot but hopefully you guys thought it flowed well um if anyone has any suggestions questions comments anything make sure to leave a comment on the youtube video make sure to like uh share with your friends uh do you want to say anything before we get going no but just uh, happy to be on episode number one and uh keep the dd going yeah we're happy to have you and hopefully we'll, we'll have you on in the future 
we're really looking forward to having uh hopefully having weekly podcast episodes uh and getting more and more like interesting guests um yeah we we, we have a lot planned so um thank you guys for watching and we'll see you guys next time